0: And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you did not bring a Bible or don't have one, there's a book right in front of where you're sitting in the seat there. It's a black, hardbound book. You can take that book, that's a Bible, and open up to page 980. That's Philippians chapter 2. We're continuing our sermon series this morning through the book of Philippians, a sermon series we've entitled, To Live is Christ. And that's based right out of Philippians 1.21, the verse we've been reading at the end of every service. It's a challenge to us. It's kind of the call that Paul puts on the church, the reminder to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I've challenged you each week with this idea. Don't just leave here and hear the sermon. That's a great start. But take this truth, live it out, be challenged with it. And I've also encouraged you every week to read through the book of Philippians. It's a short book, four chapters. You could do it in one sitting. You could read a chapter a night. Uh, Parents, you could read it to your children tonight. What a great time of devotion for you to spend some time in God's Word. But I just encourage you to do that. Now, we've kind of built over the last several weeks off of one main idea and one verse. And so I want to look at that again this morning, review a little bit, kind of catch us up and then jump right into the next section of scripture this morning so Philippians 1:27 we have it on the screen you can look at it in your bibles as well here's what Paul says he says only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether i come and see you or am absent i may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now I love preaching through the books of Paul <clears throat> that he's written, because Paul writes very logically. He has a logical thought pattern, and Paul typically will give us theology, he'll give us kind of the truth and the theological, the doctrinal understanding, and then he'll build on top of that very clear, practical ways we can live. And so Paul spent really the first chapter talking about the foundation of Jesus, the importance of Christ, building our lives upon him, and then he gives us this real clear picture because of what Jesus has done, because of what he's given, we should live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so maybe here's the first question you need to answer this morning in your own hearts. Are you living your life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Like, based on everything Jesus has done for you, based on everything Christ has given you, based on his sacrifice, and we're going to really delve this morning into his sacrifice, the heart of what he did. Based on all Christ has done and all Christ has given and all the ways that Christ has sacrificed, how much are you living your life worthy of his calling? And so Paul kind of takes that idea and he builds on that idea of being worthy of the calling in chapter 2. So look at verse 1 of chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing. From selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, listen, there's this idea of unity. There's this idea of one spirit. There's this idea of of building our hope and our foundation in Christ. And then verse five, kind of having this mind. Now, we talked a little bit last week. We kind of got into this a little bit. The mind of Christ, unity with Christ, brings us comfort and encouragement and love and joy. It brings us humility. And it really changes our mindset. And so we we understand this idea of connection with Christ. We understand this idea of unity with Christ. We understand building this foundation upon all Christ has done for us. Now Paul's going to delve into this section in Philippians that most scholars would argue is kind of the most difficult to understand. There's a lot in here. So we're going to spend some time this morning thinking through it, understanding it, and then figure out how we can apply it to our lives. So so the focus for us today, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Remember, foundation of Christ, live a life worthy of the gospel, unity, one spirit, having the mind of Christ. Now verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? So Jesus is our example, the way he thought, the way he lived, the way he acted is our model. Here it is in verse six, who, this is Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, these verses are all about Christ Christ. They're all about his mindset. They're all about the way he lived. And so there's some truth we're gonna pull out of this. Remember, our goal anytime we study scripture or we preach his word is to bring truth out, not add truth in, okay? We wanna see what the author says, what Paul says, what his intent was, what the truth is. We're gonna pull that truth out. So here's the first thing I want you to see this morning in this text. Number one, I want you to see and understand the holiness of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus. Now, I'm going to make a statement, and then I'm going to back it up scripturally, right? A lot of us know this. A lot of us have seen this, but I want to make sure you understand it from the standpoint of what the scripture teaches. Here's the statement very simply. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God, Now, I want you to notice something in verses five and six. So let's pull verses five and six up, and I want you to notice exactly how Jesus is described here, right? Because Paul's going to talk about him and clue us in a little bit about who he is. Have this mind among yourselves, right? So your calling is to have the mind of Christ. Have this mind, the mind of Christ, among you. Which yourselves in Christ Jesus. Who, this is talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, there's one of the first clues, Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. There's another clue, equality with God, a thing to be grasped, right? So we get these two kind of big phrases, thinking about Jesus. He was in the form of God and he, was, he had equality with God, right? So the question becomes, what does it mean to be in the form of God? Does it mean he, he looked like God does it mean he just had the appearance of God? Does it mean he had something draped over him that gave him a, a God-like quality? Well, I would argue, and I believe the Bible speaks to this. I'm going to show you in just a second. He didn't just appear or look like he was, in fact, fully God. Like Jesus was 100% God. God. Now, look, I want you to see what's happening here, right? Because we, we need to be careful. Now, if you're going to be uh, thoughtful and maybe intellectually honest, you're going to look at this and you're going to say, wait a minute, it just says he had the form of God and maybe, maybe had equality with God. What do we understand that to mean? Like, can, can we find anything else from that, right? Because one of the rules of interpretation, and this is important, one of the rules of biblical interpretation is you never build a doctrine from one verse. Did you know that, by the way? You can make verses say just about what you want them to say. You can make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say. Trust me, there are books written out there. There are articles written out there where people have written this entire doctrine, this entire theology off of one verse. If you're using one verse only to back up your views, you need to take a step back and do a little more study. And so one of the rules of interpretation is we let the Bible interpret itself, right? So are there other scriptures that speak to this idea of Jesus being fully God? Is this the only place we see it? Because if this is the only place we see it, we kind of think, surely there should be something else. Surely there's more. What we find, in fact, when we study scripture is that the New Testament is filled with examples that point to this truth that Jesus is full of God. Now just pause, hit the pause button for one second. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, probably, maybe a few of you, but most of you have heard this before. This isn't isn't, uh, uh, shattering your mindset or reinventing. the Well, we know Jesus is fully God, but this matters. We're going to plug this into something here in just a second. This matters when we begin to see now what Jesus did with it. Okay, so let's kind of understand that he's fully God, and then let's see what Jesus decides to do with his deity, because that really, really matters as far as we're concerned. So let me give you a few verses That clearly point to the deity of Christ. We have them on the screen. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, right? We're building this case that Jesus is fully God. Here's what the scripture says He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Another way you begin to understand that Jesus was fully God is because he makes the claim scripturally to be fully God. And when he does on several instances in scripture, people try to kill him because he's blaspheming the name of God. So, for example, in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 61, Jesus has been arrested. He's about to be crucified. Here's what the scripture says this is Jesus, but he, that's Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. John chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Our church memorized this scripture several years ago. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, a few verses later, says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. On and on this list goes there verse after verse after verse that argue that Jesus is fully. God, right? We get that. Now let's hold on to that idea. That matters. We've kind of built this case biblically right here from Philippians. We've built it in Hebrews and through the Gospels and there are other examples in Scripture to kind of build this case that Jesus is fully God. By the way, we live in a world that argues against this. There are people that would say Jesus is a good teacher, uh, Jesus is a prophet, Jesus is a religious leader, but not many people go as far as to say Jesus was fully God, right? So now we have this uh, understanding biblically, we've kind of built this case to say Jesus is fully God. So hold on to that. We're going to come back to it here in just a second. Look at Philippians chapter two again, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, right? Have the mind of Christ, that's you. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Listen, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Right, so we see the holiness of Christ, right? He's full deity, he's fully God. That's truth number one. Here's the second truth I want you to see this morning. Number two, the humility of Jesus. Right, The holiness, the deity of Jesus, next is the humility of Jesus. Now watch, this is important. Jesus was fully God. We've already made that case. We see that biblically throughout the Bible. But not only was Jesus fully God, Jesus was also fully man. Okay. Now let me just kind of, for you math majors, let me just kind of make this a little clearer for you. We're not saying that Jesus was 50% God and 50% man. We're not saying that Jesus was 75% God and 25% man. We're not using any sort of numbers right there to add up to 100. What we're saying instead is that Jesus was fully, he was 100% God, and he was fully 100% man. You say, those numbers don't really add up. I don't quite understand. I don't quite understand them either. But what we see scripturally is Jesus was fully God and fully man throughout his life here on this earth and still today. He's still fully God, fully man. Right? He came to earth and took on the form as a man. He didn't lose his God ability. He didn't lose his deity when he came to earth. He was still fully God while at the same time he was still fully man. Now listen, if you're interested in this and you want to kind of delve a little more deeply, it's called the hypostatic union. That's a fancy theological term. But if you want to read about it, there have been books uh, probably hundreds of books written about this idea of Jesus being fully God and fully man. Now listen, this matters. This matters because I want you to see something that's about to happen here in verse 6 that you've probably read a bunch of times in your life. Maybe you've just blown right past but I want to camp out there for a few minutes and help you understand why it matters to you. So pull up Philippians 5 and 6. I want you to notice this word here that matters. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Right? we got the mind of Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be, here's the word, grasped. That word has got a ton of meaning behind it. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you guys in here read out of the ESV Bible? Just raise your hand if you have an ESV. Okay, a good number of people. How many read out of the NIV? Okay, good number. How about the KJV, King James? A few, okay? So we've got a smattering of people. That word in those translations is different in every translation. right? So let me just read them to you. I want you to listen to the three different translations. Those are kind of the three big ones. There are lots of others. Those are the three kind of big ones that most people use. The ESV says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You've seen that, right? The King James says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God? The NIV says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So we've got the word grasp. We've got the word robbery. And we've got the idea of using to his own advantage. That's interesting, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'd love to take you to lunch and talk about it for an hour because it's fascinating to me. We have very different translations of Scripture, right? And a lot of that comes from the text that they found, right? And, and I don't want to blow your mind. Again, there's a lot more I need to explain here. But it's not as if we have one original copy of the book of Philippians. There are lots of copies around, lots of different places and from different eras. And different people have translated those Greek words a little differently over the years. That's basically where the different translations come from. But it's interesting, we've got a word grasp. We've got a word robbery. We've got a phrase held into the advantage of, right? And so we begin to ask the question, why the difference? What's going on with this word? Well, this word grasp is found only one time in the whole New Testament. It's the only place it's found, that Greek word. And so scholars can't go and examine that word in other places and begin to understand it. But what we see is when we read it in other contexts, that same uh, type of word or different variation of that word we do see see it used a few times and what you begin to see when you study it is it takes on different meanings it means hold on to or steal or take advantage of when you begin to kind of wrap those things together you begin to kind of build this picture I want you to see what's happening here right let me explain it to you Jesus is fully God he's in heaven all the glory and majesty of heaven right All the things that he has, we imagine his deity, we imagine who he is. This is the pre-existence of Christ before he came to earth. We understand all the things that go along with heaven. Jesus decided, this is where it matters for you, Jesus decided that that glory uh, was not something he needed to grasp, or hold on to, or steal from God the Father so he could take advantage of it himself, right? The idea is Jesus decided he would rather come to this earth, die on a cross for your sins, than to stay in heaven at that moment and steal the glory from the Father. Isn't that an amazing idea? It's an incredible thought. When you begin to think about his deity and all he had and all he'd been given and the glory of heaven and Jesus decides, I'm not gonna grasp that. I'm not gonna hold on to that. I'm not gonna steal that. I'm not gonna use that for my advantage. Instead, I'm willing, we'll see in a second, to give myself up for the sake of the people of the world so he can die on the cross for your sins. That's incredible. That's incredible. I, I think about if I had the opportunity to have all the stuff in the world, I've had the opportunity to see some neat places. I mentioned India before, and and several of you have been. Uh, You've seen pictures of this, but I've been to the Taj Mahal in India. Taj Mahal is incredible. Beautiful, marble, glorious in its creation and beauty, and known the world over as one of the most beautiful places on earth. And I would agree it's incredible. But I think, you know, if somebody offered me that, Or they offered me the kingdoms of the world. They offered me riches and glory and power and majesty. Would I be able to say, I'm not going to grasp those things. I'm not going to hold on to those things. I'm not going to use those things for my advantage. He said, I'm going to give all of those things up for the sake of somebody else. I I don't know if I could do that. And, And then I think about Jesus. Remember the temptation of Jesus? The Bible says he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And the devil tempted him three times. And one of the temptations was when he took him on the, on the top of the mountains and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said, listen, if you'll just bow down to me, all of these kingdoms will be yours. And I'd never quite put it in perspective until I really studied this passage of scripture this week. But when the devil offered Christ all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus turned him down, of course and said, you only worship the Lord your God. I didn't quite put this together, but Jesus had already turned all this stuff down. And he'd already given up the glory of heaven. He'd already given up the majesty of heaven. He'd already given up all these things. He didn't want to grasp them or hold on to them or use them for his advantage. He wanted to instead use those things to bring glory to the Father and give you the chance of salvation. Jesus, listen now, Jesus gave up heaven for your life. Did you know that? It's hard for us to imagine, man. It's hard for us to, to get our minds around and understand. So let's make, it a, let's make it a little more simple. Let's kind of bring it closer to home. Let's put it into a phrase maybe you can understand. What are you, Jesus said, Listen, I'm willing to give up my position to bring glory to the Father. What are you willing to give up to bring glory to the Father? Like, how are you using your position to glorify Christ? How are you using your status or your wealth or your influence? What are you doing to bring glory to the Lord? Because I want you to notice what Jesus does here now in verse 7, right? So this idea of being in the form of God and equality with God, he didn't want to hold on to that. He wanted to give that up for the sake of the world, for the sake of the glory of the Father. And instead, look what he does in verse 7. But he emptied himself. This is Jesus. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, right? Jesus said, listen, I'm willing to give all these things up for the sake of bringing glory to the Father and dying on the cross for the sins of the world. One writer said it like this, Jesus considered his deity an opportunity for service and obedience, Instead of using all he'd been given to his own advantage, he used it for others. For those who had nothing, he used it for us. All of the authority and power available to him became a channel of giving rather than a conduit for getting. His focus was not on being served, but upon serving others, not upon exalting himself, but of emptying himself in obedience. And I want you to notice what Jesus does here, right? The Bible says that Jesus humbled himself, but that wasn't enough. So he had to become a servant. That wasn't enough. So he had to become a slave. Still not enough enough. He had to become obedient, completely obedient, still not enough. He had to give his life, still not enough. He had to give his life, the Bible says, even death on a cross. Right? We've heard uh, the the old rags to riches story, right? This is the story of riches to rags. But here's the amazing thing about it. Look at verse 7 again. Pull back, go back to verse 7. Here's the amazing thing about this Riches to Rags story. Nobody forced him to do this. The Bible says that he emptied himself. You see that? He made this decision. He's going to give up his life for you. He's going to give up all this glory of heaven and the majesty of heaven for you. He's going to humble himself to the point of death. He's going to descend from the glories of heaven to the pits of the earth and die on a a, a wicked cross for your sins. It's incredible. We miss that. We we miss it even right now in this moment, trying to understand it. We'll never fully grasp what Christ did for us. When you begin to take into consideration his holiness and the glory and what he had and what he gave, it brings us to the point of worship. This is the opposite of what the world says. Because the world says, listen, the one with the most power, the one with the most money, The one with the most fame, that's the important person. Jesus says the opposite. Jesus says the one who's willing to give up the most is the greatest. The one who's willing to sacrifice for others is the greatest. The one who's willing to suffer so that others can know Jesus, that person is the greatest. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus said, I'm not going to hold on or steal or use this glory to my advantage. I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to take on the form of a human being, die on the cross for your sins. It's the greatest story ever told. Story of sacrifice and ultimate love. And I want you to notice where that leads us. Look at verse 9. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, right, because of what Christ has done, because of this incredible descent from the glories of heaven to the the sin of the earth, willingly, therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? We've seen the holiness of Jesus. We've seen the humility of Jesus. Truth number three, we see now the hope of Jesus. There's absolute hope in Christ. Why? Because he's our Savior. One person said it like this, to properly understand the person and work of Christ as believers, we must appreciate him as being both fully God and fully man, Unless Jesus was fully God and fully man, this act of redemption would have been incomplete. As both God and man, he came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again, intercedes for us before God, and will one day return as the conquering king. See, because Jesus was fully God and fully man, he got to be, as Timothy says, the mediator. Right? A mediator brings kind of two sides together. Because Jesus was fully God and fully man, he could bring both sides together, right? He could show us the love of God. He could understand the, the struggles of men. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus. Right? he stepped out of heaven to give his life for us. Now listen, I want to finish with this idea. I know in a, in a church this size and people at home and maybe in our overflow, in a church this size, there, there are a lot of us that are believers. Many of us gave our hearts and lives to Christ many years ago. Some of you have been following Jesus for, for decades. But I know in a church this size and people watching at home, wherever they might be, there are people that are right now listening to this sermon that have not yet received Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I just want you to understand just for a second, the majesty of what Jesus did, the sacrifice he made. And I want you to understand what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? We, we've separated ourselves from the Lord through sin We've done things that separate us, that move us apart, and there's no way we can give back. We can't work enough, can't be nice enough, can't say enough good things. We have to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, bring him into our lives, repent of our sins, and the Bible says we'll be saved. I I got a phone call earlier this week. I I get a lot of phone calls from people and a lot of texts, and some of them are really good and some of them are really bad, right? And I never quite know when I get one what it's going to be. And this guy calls me up, and he said, listen, I want you, he's come a few times uh, by his own admission, not a regular attender. He's been a few times. He has some connections here in our church. And he said, listen, I want you to know something. He said, I woke up this morning. I woke up this morning. And he said, it's like the, the Lord spoke to me so clearly and said, Adam, I need to call you this morning. The Lord said, you need to call Adam. So he called me. He actually called me earlier in the morning. I get a chance to call him back to later in the afternoon. And he said, listen, the Lord told me I needed to call you and come see you and talk to you. And I said, well, You know, come on up. I was available. I said, come on up, I'll wait for you up here. And so he came up to the church, walked in my office, and it was as if, and this is exactly what happened, by the way, it was as if the spirit had led him to that point of salvation. And we prayed right there in my office for that young man to receive Christ. But I want you to know something. Here's what I want you to know. The Spirit was already at work in that guy's life. Right? I mean, I I joked with our deacons later that that week that I think the doorknob could have led this guy to Christ. I didn't take a whole lot. He was ready. God had already been working in his life, right? God had already shown him his glory. God had already shown him his power and his majesty. God had already kind of led him to that point and he was simply obedient. And so the question for us is what are we doing To bring glory to Christ. What are we doing to to live our lives worthy of this calling? What are we doing when we understand the sacrifice that Jesus made? What he gave up? What he decided not to hold on to? And we understand that more and more clearly. What are we doing now to glorify him? What are we doing to honor him? What are we doing to live a life worthy of the gospel of who Christ is? And so our our team's going to come up here in just a second. We're going to have a time of invitation. And, And this altar is always open for you. You can come and pray anytime you want to. I hope you do that. I'll be happy to pray with you. But if you want to talk about salvation, if you want to know more about what it means to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to share with you. So as we sing here in just a second, you come and allow the Spirit to do great work in your life. Now let me pray for us right now. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's clear and compelling and challenging. We thank you for the deity of Christ, that he's fully God, Uh, Lord, we thank you for his humanity, that he's fully man, Father. And we thank you for this passage of Scripture that really describes his desire to empty himself, to give up the riches and the glory of heaven, not to steal that glory or to keep it for his own benefit, but instead, Father, to walk down, to step down to this earth, to live a sinless life, to die a, a wicked death on the cross for my sins, Lord for the sins of these precious people that are here. Help us to be mindful of that. Help us to understand that, Father. Help that truth to allow us to love you more and to serve you more deeply. Father, do great things through our lives. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.